We are studying from 1 Thessalonians, as was read, and there was a, a verse in there that just struck my heart in preparing this lesson for you. And it's that verse in verse 8 where it says of the church in Thessalonica, it says of that, that church, it says, your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. And isn't that faith? Isn't that a powerful testimony to how powerful the faith was in Thessalonica that the church was so active? The church was in that missional life so much that whenever Paul went somewhere to preach or to teach or to talk, everybody already knew and he didn't have to say anything about that church. That's amazing, isn't it? It's an amazing compliment from the Apostle Paul. We know that words are powerful, don't we? Words are powerful. In Proverbs it says that the power of life and death are in the tongue. And as children, we try to say, well, no, it's not quite that powerful. Right? Remember, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Well, that's not exactly true. Words do hurt. Words are powerful. You know, it's through words that this country was established. Through words. Through the Declaration of Independence. Through the Constitution. Nations are formed. It's through words that people get married. That's a powerful... Matrimony is a powerful thing, isn't it? It's through words that that happens. It's through words, too. When a jury stands up and someone says in the jury, guilty, that's the power of life and death, isn't it? Words are powerful. But there's something even more powerful than words, and that is what we do. That are, that's our actions. Our lives carry powerful messages. And to illustrate this, I'm going to give you a, a Valentine's Day illustration because we're almost there. Remember back when you were in love with that someone, that special someone in your romantic life and you were in love and it came down to that time when you were going to say something very special. It was now going to be the time that you were going to risk something. You were going to risk it all. And you were going to finally tell that special someone, I love you. Remember that? You had all those butterflies in your belly. And sometimes we feel a reticence, a hesitance, don't we, in saying that. We're like, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if they're ready. And we're kind of scared to say, I love you. Do you remember that? And maybe because some of that is because we're a little bit afraid that they won't say it back, right? It's like you say, hey, I love you, baby. And she's like, well, I got to go. <laughs> that happened a few times. <laughs> that unrequited love that hurts, right? But the reason why there's reticence, the reason why there's hesitance in saying that, I believe... One of the major reasons why we hold off and we make sure we're ready to say I love you is because of, not because the words are hard to say. It's easy to say. 
It's easy to say I love you. We, we, we hold back because what follows afterwards, don't we? Because we know that if we tell this person, I love you, then I've obligated myself to a certain behavior, haven't I? That all of a sudden I have given myself over to that person. I've obligated my behavior to them. And now I have to live in a way that honors those words, don't I? Because it's harder to live in love than to say, I love you. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus. And his teaching is that when he comes to his disciples, when he comes to me, when he comes to you, that what he says is so profound and so simple, he says something very difficult. He says, Follow me. Follow me. And other teachers and other preachers don't say that, they say, Listen to me. That I want you to hear my wisdom. I want you to hear what I got to say. And then you go do it. But Jesus says, no. Follow me. Because it's within our lives. It's in how we live. It's in our actions that he wants us to emulate. And this is what happens in the, in the church at Thessalonica. Which was created on Paul's second missionary journey. Remember, he had received the Macedonia call. Thessalonica is in Macedonia. And it was this man saying, come over here, Paul. Help us. Give us the gospel. And Paul came and he preached. And when he preached the gospel there in Thessalonica, he preached it so good, he and Silas, that they got ran out of town. That's how this, the church began in this city. This is how the church began in Thessalonica. That when they came to the city, they were run out. And one of the believers had an attack on his own house. And the people said of Paul and Silas, listen to this, your faith toward, or these are who have turned the world upside down have now come here also. Because the gospel is an upside down kind of thing. Because when the gospel begins to be preached, it's an upheaval. It's an upheaval of power. It's an upheaval of values. Because everything that the world tells us is true, God says, no, it's not quite like that. And the gospel begins to be preached in Thessalonica in the same town where Paul and Silas is run out. Now Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 8, and says, your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. The gospel had taken root in that city. This passage is kind of similar to that in 2 Peter 3 when the women were married to men who were not Christians. And they were looking for advice on how to convert their husbands to the Lord. And Peter says something very interesting. They, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Peter says, if you want to convert your husbands, focus on how you're living. Because that's how you're going to convert them. And so today, the greatest sermon that we preach isn't the one from our mouths many times. It's the ones from our lives that we live and how we treat each other. That's the greatest sermon, isn't it? And that's a sermon every one of us can preach. 
That you don't have to be some great orator or speaker to go out today in this week and preach the gospel of Jesus because of how you live and how you love. That's the gospel. One person once said it like this, preach the gospel wherever you go and use words when necessary. Albert Schweitzer said, example isn't the one thing influencing people, it's the only thing influencing people. And we know it's true. So I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians with me and look at this passage and see how it begins. Look at verse 2. It begins with an invocation. In other words, it begins with a prayer. We give thanks, Paul says, to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope, and our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. He begins with a prayer. And that's where ministry, effective ministry begins. It begins in prayer. And if the church is going to make waves, and if the church is going to convert people, it has to begin in prayer with God. And that's another beautiful thing about it, is that prayer is the ministry of every person. That everyone in this room can have a ministry of prayer. Every person has the opportunity to talk to God, to pray to God. And that's a blessing sometimes we take for granted. But our prayer life gives us the opportunity to focus on what's important. It gives our prayer life the opportunity to guide us and to teach us. Because prayer is that guiding force in our life. Jesus says, don't just simply ask. He says, seek. He says, knock. And it begins in prayer. It begins with the ask. But my life has to follow behind that and do what I'm seeking and what I'm asking for. So this prayer begins in faith. But it also shows what they were doing. Look what they did in verse 3. Your work of faith. You hear that? Your work of faith. Your labor of love. Your patience of hope. So the church was not standing still. That once they received this good news, once they came to Christ, now their faith is active. It's working. It's doing something. You know, faith has to work. Faith has to be demonstrated in our lives. Our works are kind of like the smoke, and the faith is our fire. And if you're going to have a church that's on fire, you're going to have a lot of smoke, right? And so this church was on fire with faith and love, a labor of love, and also that endurance. And if you notice, have you heard those words before? Faith, hope, and love. Here Paul is reminding us of the three enduring things, right? That we talk about in 1 Corinthians 13. Now the greatest of these, of course, is love. It also talks about the election. God electing the saints. God choosing the saints. And God has chosen you. God chooses us. Sometimes people, when they think about the election of God, all they think about is the redemption But the election is also God creating. God chose to create you and to redeem you. And He does that through His love. Jeremiah 31.3, listen to this. 
Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. God is drawing us. He's choosing us. He's leading us through His love to His Son, Jesus. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto Myself. But it begins with an invocation. And then we see that they had accepted the invitation. Look at verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us. So they had offered and accepted the invitation to the gospel of Christ. But what I find interesting is that what was it coupled with? The invitation to the gospel was coupled with authentic Christian living by the apostle himself. Look what he says. You know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. You see, the gospel is the most powerful. The gospel is the truest when it's living out in the believer's life. Yes, it's true when it's on your tongue. It's true when it's in your words. But it's even truer for people around you when they see it. And because Paul lived it day in and day out, the people understood how true it was. Authentic Christianity. I remember at the hospital, one of the my fellow workers said, hey, I want you to meet the chaplain to a patient. And he asked the chaplain something about me, or asked the gentleman about me. He didn't ask how tall I was. He didn't ask what my education was. He didn't ask any of those things. He didn't ask how rich I was. No, but what he asked was, is he real? Is he real? Is he authentic? Is he genuine? Does he really believe? Does he really live it out? Because if he doesn't, I don't want to talk to him. Authentic Christian living is the most powerful message that we can give to the dying world. And look what follows. Because they had answered the invitation, now they are imitating. Look at what it says in verse 6. And you became followers, imitators of us and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. They received it even though there was affliction, even though there was persecution. They received the Word and they began to follow, to imitate the apostles and the followers of Jesus. Remember when you were a kid and there would be that one little annoying kid that would imitate you. And you'd go to your mama and your daddy and you would say, so-and-so's doing what I'm doing. Right? And then your parents would say, well, Johnny, Susie, imitation is the highest form of flattery. Remember that? And you still didn't, weren't happy about it. But imitation following is instructional, isn't it? That when you hear someone teaching, 
Say in math class, whatever class you're talking about, a lot of times we'll be talking about teaching and instructing, and then all of a sudden someone will say, let me give you an example. Because when you see an example, when you see that in practice, then you begin to see the realness and the value of it. And when we see the life of Christ, when we see the truth of Christ demonstrated in people's lives, it becomes so real, it becomes irresistible. It's instructional. And what we are to do is to emulate the character of Jesus. The character of Christ. It says in 1 Peter 2.21, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps. That we should walk, as it says in 1 John 2.6, walk just as He walked. We're to imitate Him. Imitate Jesus with the people you know. Imitate Jesus in the church. Imitate Jesus at work. Imitate Jesus at school. There's another part of the imitation that I find interesting that happens in chapter 2, verse 14. I want you to look at this. Verse 14 says this, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. So not only do we become imitators of Jesus, they became imitators of the churches. And that's what we aspire to do here. That we try to emulate and to imitate what the church did in the first century. The reason why we do what we do in this service, the reason why we're organized in the way that we're organized is because we imitate the churches that were in Judea. Why? Because they had apostles who were inspired guiding them. And that's our link to Jesus. And that's why we continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine in breaking bread and in fellowship and in prayers. We continue that by imitating what we have here. So why do we do what we do? Because we can find it here. And we imitate it. We're followers of it in our daily life and in our life at church and worship. And you know what happens when this came out? When they began to show this, what they were doing, verse 7, listen to this. So you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. As a result, their lives began to inspire other people. See, this imitation turned into inspiration. Because once they began to see that these people had changed, that they had given up their idols, they had given up their family idols, and turned to the one true living God, it inspired people to do the same thing. They gave up that superstition. They gave up those powerless idols because they weren't working in their lives. You know... Our stories are inspiring to other people. Even if you are not an extraordinary person, but because God is extraordinary, because God is powerful, and because I am ordinary, then that begins to inspire somebody. Because if I can do it, and if you can do it, then someone is inspired to do it themselves. This past week, I had the opportunity to go to DC4 and to talk to people who were in a drug rehabilitation program, that instead of being incarcerated, they had the opportunity to go through an 18-month treatment plan. 
and I told him my story. Not because my story is so crazy or that I'm somebody special or that I've done something great. No, it's because God took an ordinary, powerless person and worked in my life and changed me. And if God can do that in your life and in my life, then it will inspire others to follow Jesus. It will. As a result of them being inspired by their story, what else happens is is that their influence grew. Their influence. And no matter who you are, and no matter where you sit in this room today, you have influence. That when someone sees you, you affect them in some way. You either make them happy. Some of y'all make some people sad. I know sometimes I do. I can make my wife mad. I'm good at that sometimes. But we have a power over each other. We have an influence on each other. Here's the thing I want to tell you. That when someone's weak, if someone's dealing with things that, are, that they don't have control over, and then your influence, it may not be that great, but it's your influence, it might be just enough to knock them off the edge. Because if we're weak, we're easily persuaded. It doesn't take a lot of influence. There's things in my life, if you put me around it and you put me around people long enough, then I might not be able to withstand that temptation anymore. So we also have to honestly assess ourselves and say, what am I capable of handling here? What am I indoctrinating myself with? What am I watching? What am I listening to? Who am I hanging out with? Because guess what? They have an influence on how you live. Influence is important. And this church began to have an influence. It also says in Galatians 5, 9, a verse we know, a little leaven, leaven's a whole lump, right? It doesn't take much. Or another way we said it in the country is a, a, one bad apple sp- spoils the bunch, right? Our influence is so powerful. So use that influence that you have for good. And the church here is beginning to have an out influence not only in this community, but on people that are in other states. I sent out an email a couple of weeks ago that a, a guy from California came to this church and saw what this church was doing. And he told me he was shocked by it because he didn't see churches doing what this church is doing. He said, I'm going to, back to California and I'm going to tell them what Lindsley Avenue is doing. Because we're doing church, I don't think we're doing church right in California. We need, to, we need to get our focus right in how we're doing church in California. So here, this little church on the corner at Lindsley Avenue is affecting and influencing potentially a church in California. Why? Because the church cares. The church cares. And now the influence is going out and changing people and churches and so on. It says that because of this, there is an inheritance. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come, it says in verse 10. There's salvation. Your influence is so powerful. Your example is so powerful. So use that this week to encourage somebody. 
Do something for somebody. Live it out in your life. You know, there's an old illustration about how powerful example is, and it's some parents. If you ever had children, you know how powerful your influence is. And the parents were sitting in the room, and they heard the children quarreling. So they go into the where the room the into the baby room where the children are, and they come in and they say, What's the matter in here? Oh, we're just playing mommy and daddy. <laughs> There's eyes that are on you. There's eyes that are on me. And let's be the church just like at Thessalonica where someone can say, your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. That's a powerful faith, isn't it? You can do that this week through loving God and loving your neighbor and serving your neighbor. You can do that. And do that for Lindsley Avenue. And as we do that, these pews... There's going to be some competition for these pews. We want to see that because people will know that it's true. They will see it in your life. If you're not a Christian this morning, it doesn't mean you hit easy street. It means that you find the truth of who God is and you begin to live according to that truth and you begin to live in relation to Jesus Christ. He begins in faith to hearing the words of the gospel, hearing the words of truth, and responding to it in faith, believing it, repenting of those sins that destroy us, that break us apart, that keep us divided, that hurt us, to confess Jesus to be the Son of the living God because He lived it. That's the one thing you go to Jesus and His words and His deeds are so intermingled that you can't separate them. He actually lived what He taught. We confess His divinity and we're baptized into His body, the church. And we begin to walk as He walked. And we begin to be the church that was His church in the first century, for the 21st century. Or maybe today you need prayers. We're going to sing this next song to encourage you. So if you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.